Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. The scripture says that we need to be watching and waiting for the return of Christ. And my friends, if you're not living with the fearful expectation that at our next breath Jesus could be here and we could be in the presence of the Lord, there's something wrong with your life. Do you realize what is happening in our world today? That we are seeing prophetic word, prophetic Bible coming to pass. Go home and read Ezekiel 38 and 39. We saw how the nation of Israel in 36 and 37 are brought back to life. In 38 and 39, it says that once they've been brought back to life, that there's going to be a nation from the north that is going to be brought down to make war and wage war against Israel. And the nations that it speaks of there, it speaks of Russia And it speaks of Iran. And what is happening in Israel's northern border today, just across from the Golan Heights in Syria, is the Iranians and the Russians have come together, and they're coming against the nation of Israel from the north. And the scripture says that the rest of the world, those who are not a part of this this terrible, this this wicked alliance, they're going to look to those in Russia and Iran and Turkey and those who will gather together, the Sudan, and they're going to say, have you come to gather the spoils of war? Check this out. This is amazing. Just this last month, Israel discovered this amazingly huge deposit of oil just under its surface, right across the border from Syria. Talk about spoils of war. Talk about a reason for the nations of the world to come against Israel. It's happening before our eyes. And I shared this the other night. My children and I, every night we've been reading in the Left Behind series for kids. And it's, it's been like eye-opening for them. Every night they're just amazed at what the story says and their hearts are like turning and spinning. What do we need to do? What should we do? And so I shared with them what was happening in Israel and my daughter, she claps her hands and she says, I'm excited about what God is doing. She says this and then she says, but we need to start telling people are you living with an expectation that Jesus is coming? We're not going to know the hour, but we can look around and we can see that it's close. And I don't need to know the hour. All I need to know is I need to know the seasons, and I know that the seasons are near, and our hearts need to be prepared and ready for Jesus. Amen? He says, this hour is going to come upon you. Verse 4, we looked at that. You're, there's a few names, even in Sardis, that have not defiled their garments, and they, walk, they shall walk with me in white, and they are worthy He who overcomes, this is the motivation now to the church in Sardis. He who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. It speaks of security there. They're going to be clothed and they're going to be secure. 
They're going to have righteousness that will be their clothing. And they're going to be secure. Their name will not be blotted out from the book of life. You have to understand that in these days, a Roman citizen, if he was convicted of a, of a very terrible crime, his name would be blotted out from the citizen registry. It was as if that person never existed. His name ceased to exist. And so Jesus here is promising those believers, the fear that you've been living in, that because of your faith, your name is going to be blotted out of the Roman registry, I will never blot your name out. Your name is secure in heaven. No one can snatch you from my hands. Your salvation is secure when you're in me. Amen. So he says you're clothed and you're secure and this should motivate you in your life. This should motivate you. He says this. He says, I will confess his name before my Father in heaven and before the angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm going to confess his name. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'm going to confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, you'll be denied before my Father. That's just not talking about just verbal words. But how about your lifestyle? Is your lifestyle denying Jesus every single day? And I'm not talking about a works-based salvation. If you're truly saved, your works will show it. I believe that. What is your life showing? Are you denying God by the way you live? I'll confess you if you confess me. I'll deny you if you deny me. So we see this is what's happening in the local church. Now, historically, this is amazing. This church, just coming off the tails of Thyatira, which we saw kind of represented the rise of the Roman Catholic Church and how wicked they were and how their priests had become very wicked. What we see here is historically happening in this church is that this church is the church of dead denominationalism. You see, there's not only faults in, in Catholicism in the Catholic Church, there's faults in denominationalism in Protestantism. The word Protestant literally means those who protest, protestants, the protesters of the Catholic Church. And in the midst of this, this movement that began really with a man by the name of John Wycliffe in the, in the middle of the 1300s, he said, I believe that the common man should have access to God's word. And that when he has access to God's word, he's going to be filled with God's spirit and his life is going to change and quicken. He, he, he shouldn't have to go to the priests or to the clergy to receive God's word. And so he translated God's word himself. His body was exhumed by the Catholic church like 20, 30 years after his death and was burned with all of his works because they declared him a heretic because he felt God's word should be in common person's hands. Years later, William Tyndale comes upon the scene and he translates a majority of the Bible into English. And he was burned as a heretic for it. 42 years old, burned as a heretic. They wrapped him around his body, around his neck with a chain. And they burned him alive at the stake as a heretic because he felt God's word should be in common man's hands. He was approached by a clergyman at one time, and he says, we would be better to be without God's word than the word of the Pope, saying that the word of the Pope was more important than the word of God that we hold right here. And he looked that clergyman in the eye, and he says, if God should allow me, I will make the boy out yonder plowing that field know more of God's word than you ever have. And he translated the Bible so that we could read it today. As he was burned, he cried out, from the stake, God opened the eyes of the king of England, and about a hundred years later, King James commissions the first sanctioned 
copy of the Bible, the King James Bible. His prayer was answered. Do you realize that that King James Bible is 90% of William Tyndale's work? There was a remnant, wasn't there? In the midst of all of the corruption, in the midst of all of the wickedness, there were those who said, it's not about the pomp and the circumstance and the show. It's about what God is saying to his people in his word, and I believe that people can understand it if they have it as a tool. The Reformation was sparked by Martin Luther when he nailed his 95 theses to the door of a church in Wittenberg, Germany. He was disgusted that the church, the Catholic church, had sent someone into the area to start selling indulgences because they were raising money to remodel St. Peter's Basilica. So he, in protest, he creates this manifesto, writes his manifesto, the 95 Thesis, he nails it to the door. Within two weeks, it had spread throughout Germany, without, within two months, spread across Europe. And a movement happened. Those who were wanting to come back to God's word as the foundation of godly living. My friends, if you are tempted to come and to sit here and to listen to Pastor Walt and I preach, and for that to be the only word you have, shame on you. There are men and women who gave their life so that you could have this Bible so that you could read God's word on your own, so that it could change your life. And we need to take that seriously. Now, personally speaking, that's historically what's happening. Personally, this is amazing, okay? I want you to see this, and I want you to grab this, because this is God's word for you this morning. Just as sure as there was a remnant in the church of Sardis, Jesus has the power to raise the dead in you this morning. And you might have come here as dead as a doornail, but Jesus has the power to raise you this morning if you'll allow him. If you allow him to change you, to grab hold of you. Listen to this verse in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, 14. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all sins. Colossians chapter 2. All right? He has made us alive together with him. He's made us alive with Christ having forgiven you all of your trespasses, and he wiped away the handwriting of the requirements which was against us, and he nailed that to the cross. That though we were dead, he has made us alive. Amen? Amen. Our next church, the faithful church of Philadelphia. Now, when you hear Philadelphia, what do you think of? Rocky, cheesesteaks, or terrible sports teams, right? That's probably what most of you think of. But what the word I'm, means... I'm protesting that. <laughs> he still has a mic on. <laughs> Nicole, can you mute that channel? Because it, it might get... So, so Philadelphia, the word literally means brotherly love. And this was a church which was filled with love. And this church did a lot of amazing, amazing things. So much so that if you look there at your notes there, they didn't even have a correction. They were just commended. They were just encouraged because they were doing the work of the Lord. So let's read this together. Verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy and true, who is the key of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So the, the definition is brotherly love. The revelation that Jesus gives is that he's the one who has all authority. That's what it means to have the keys. You realize that, right? 
If I give you a key to my home, that means I'm giving you permission to come in my home. If you have a G key around the church, that means you have all access to anywhere in the church. You're able to go. If I give you the keys to my car, I'm saying you have the authority to drive my car. It's authority. Jesus says, I have the authority to open doors and to shut doors. An open door in the scripture, it speaks of the opportunity to evangelize. And this church, Philadelphia, was at the border between modern-day Europe and Asia. And it was built for the purpose of evangelizing, of spreading Greek culture into Asia. And so not only is the city doing that, but the church is evangelizing well also. It's really about the Lord's work. It's about God's word. It's about seeing people's lives changed. And Jesus says, I have the authority, and when I open a door, you got to walk through that door. Because when I open it, no one can shut that door. And when I close a door, that's because I have the authority to close that door. And you better not try to beat down that door. Right? Now, here's what's incredible to me is what this does is this is freeing. What this means is that it's God's will. It's his authority. Anything that I've ever done that is any good is only because God has opened a door. It doesn't matter how hard I study it doesn't matter how many Bible verses I memorize. If God doesn't open the door, I can do nothing. You know what this means? This means that God gets the glory for what we do. Because he opens the doors. The door is wide open to you, friends. And you have to have the faith to walk through that door when that door is open. Heard a story. I know of a little girl who very recently lost her father. Lost her daddy. And her mom was asking her if she wanted to go to school on Monday. And you know what the little girl said? Just lost her dad. Found out she lost her dad the day before on Sunday. And here comes Monday. I want to go to school. I want to go to school because I have to go and make a difference for Jesus. Because that school is an open door. She says this. Little girl, probably 10 years old. 11 years old, I see an open door at that school, and I want to go make a difference for Jesus. Why was she able to see that open door? Because she wasn't focused on herself. Her life wasn't consumed with self. She saw that God wanted me maybe to do something. She didn't know what was on the other side of the door. All she saw is the doors open. My friends, there's so many doors that God has opened to you, and you haven't stepped through them because you're so distracted by yourself. Get your eyes off of yourself. Stop being so self-consumed and you'll see what God is trying to do. Now listen to this in verse 8. It says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You've kept my word and have not denied my name. So here's a commendation for them. I see that you have strength. I see that you have kept my word. I see that you haven't denied my name. You have obeyed my word and you have maintained your witness You've been faithful with what I've given to you. Thank you, he says. I see that. Yeah, I notice your works, but what's more important to me than your works is that you've kept my word. You've obeyed my word. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love the Lord this morning? Have you kept his word? Have you been faithful to his word? Look at what he says here. the faithfulness of our Lord, he says, I've opened this door for you. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. 
Indeed, in verse 9, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know, so that they might know that I've loved you. You'll have vindication. All the suffering that you've been experiencing in the flesh, God is going to vindicate you. Don't worry. I'm in control. They're going to worship at your feet because you're going to be sitting next to me is what he's saying. They're going to be worshiping you. No, not because it's you, but because you're sitting next to me. You're mine. You're mine. You're right next to me. Look at verse 10. Because you've kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, that moment when God will rain down his wrath upon the world. I'm going to preserve you through that. I'm going to spare you through that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that time. You're going to be just fine. He says the motivation that they should be looking after is that they're going to be strong and they're going to know that they're chosen. Look at this. I'll keep you from that hour which will come upon the whole world and test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no man may take your crown. He overcomes. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. In AD 19, this city was destroyed by an earthquake and the aftershocks kept persisting and persisting. And so the people actually lived outside of the city from time to time. These earthquakes, these aftershocks would come and they would just go live outside. Dwell outside of the city. And so Jesus is saying, you're not going to have to worry about that any longer. You're going to be strong. You're going to have strength. I'm going to protect you. Speaks of security once again. You're not going to have to go in and out of the the town. You're going to be able to dwell in the town safely and securely. And then he says this, and I will write on him, verse 12. I really want you to see this. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven and I'll write on him my new name. Remember in grade school, you guys would play kickball or dodgeball, right? How stressful was it when it was time to pick the teams? Nobody wanted to get picked last, right? See, Jesus says, I'm going to choose you. And I'm going to write my name on you. It speaks of ownership. You're chosen. I'm going to write my name on you. You're going to be wearing my jersey. I'm going to write my name on you. You're going to be a part of my team. I'm going to write my name on you. Listen, Jesus has chosen you. The scripture says, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go bear fruit. I selected you. The word means to select out of preference, that out of all of the flavors of the raspados that you could possibly have, (laughs) you were the flavor that he liked the most. And he chose you. And he selected you. When was the last time, husbands, that you told your wife, I am so glad and blessed that I chose to marry you? When was the last time? If I had to do it all over again, I would still choose to marry you. When was the last time you looked in your children's eyes? Listen very carefully. And you told them, if I could have chosen a child, you're exactly what I would have wanted to have chosen. You see, Jesus, our bridegroom, looks at you and says, if I had to do it all over again, I would still have gone to the cross because I choose you. And our heavenly father looks down and he says, if I had to choose, if I could have chosen who I wanted as my child, 
If I could have gone to the store and selected the exact child I wanted, I would have chosen you. Because you're perfect just the way you are. That's God's heart for his people. He says, I chose you. You're what I want. You're who I want. And this should be so encouraging to us to hear that this is the way God sees us. So historically, what are we looking at? We're looking at the church who is the missionary church in the midst of the great awakening. See, there was this time after the the denominations rose and after the people broke away, those pioneers broke away from the Catholic church, that that became rut also. And there were these men in the midst of this religious system, same thing all the time. They're tired of hearing a, a sermon that is just read, that it's, all it is is academic and there's nothing there for me. I don't understand what you're saying. And so these men rose up who were filled with God's spirit, who said, I believe that God's word is for the common man and so I'm going to preach it and reach the common man with it. And they preached their hearts out and a revival began to sweep across the world. These men of God were amazing. Men like like Jonathan Edwards who preached so passionately that in in the midst of one of his sermons called the sinners in the hands of an angry God that people were weeping afterwards saying, what do I have to do to get saved? Men like George Whitfield who came over on a six-week, six-week tour of America and preached 175 sermons to tens of thousands of people, and many people were reborn. During his life, he preached some 15,000 sermons, 20 sermons a week during his career in the open air. 20 sermons a week. He preached. Why? Because he believed that God wanted to reach people through his word. And he believed that people could understand it. And so he preached it passionately. It was men like William Carey during this age that saw that Jesus said you should go into all the world and make disciples. And the guy actually believed that he could do it. He didn't just believe that his sphere of influence was his little hamlet there in England. He said, I can go to the uttermost parts of the world. So he goes to India and he plants 26 churches, and he builds 125 schools, and he baptizes 1,800 people in the name of Jesus. He translated the Bible into 35 different languages. Why? Because he believed that it had the power to change lives. He believed people could be saved through the preaching of God's word, and he did something about it. He went and he did something about it. He went and he evangelized the world, just like Philadelphia did for the Greek culture. These men, during this period of time, during this great awakening, they went and they preached the word and they preached it passionately with spirit. I want to be like those men. How about you? So personally, what can we take away from this church? I think it's important that we see that Jesus isn't looking for the strong, but he's looking for the faithful. Is that encouraging to anybody else here? Jesus isn't looking for the strong. He says, you have little strength left. Strengthen the things which remain, but that's not what I'm interested in. You're not that strong. But you're faithful. But you've been faithful. That's what I want to be. I want to be the faithful one. I want to be the one that Jesus can come to and say, I can see. I can see. Paul, in the book of Corinthians, he, in chapter 12, he's wrestling 
with this disease or this sickness that he has, this thorn in his flesh, and he prays over and over and over again, God, take this from me, and finally God's voice comes across it all, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you, because in your weakness, then I can show myself strong. That's the guy I want to be. I want to be weak. Why? So that Jesus can be strong. Amen? Not looking for your strength. He's looking for your faithfulness. I don't care what your name has after it. PhD, MD, it doesn't matter. What your name needs to have at the end of it is SF, Spirit-Filled. That's the only title that you should be attaining for. Is I'm a Spirit-Filled believer. Amen? Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.